Hello, everybody, and welcome to the You Thought Media Sports Podcast. I'm here with my co-hosts, Lucas, Jared, Wyatt, and Bart today. Uh, we've got a, a busy agenda ahead of us, and we're going to jump right in uh, with the NBA returning. That was the big news from last week, is that the NBA re- approved a return plan uh, with play resuming on July 31st for 22 teams, the relevant teams. Um, and anyway, so we're, we're going to start out with Wyatt. Wyatt, what are your what are your initial thoughts on the plan? What are you thinking about it? Uh, I, Aiden, I love it. I love it. I <laughs> talked about the potential of this being the real plan when we first uh, on my solo show just the other day. Um, but this being the actual plan, I love it. I think out of all the plans that were made public, this feels like the best and most fair option. Um, that doesn't really have very many fair options available. Um, it was pretty much darn near impossible to bring back all 32 teams into the bubble and have any semblance of a regular season. Um, but it kind of mentioned it, and Damian Lillard said that it was, what did players like Steph Curry and if Damian Lillard didn't have a chance to make the playoffs, what do those players have anything left to play for? And uh, apparently the Portland Trailblazers just still didn't really care that much that they had something to play for because they're the only team that voted <laughs> down this option. Um, but I also think that the playing tournament is going to be really fun. I'm excited to see where that goes. I think that that's going to be um, probably one of the more exciting parts of the, of the um, entire lockout. But with all of that being said, regardless of who gets in at number four, Lakers and Bucks sweep. Mm. A sweep? A sweep. Wow. Whoever they play, whether it's Portland, whether it's the the Pelicans, whether the Wizards somehow get in, they're sweeping. Everyone's getting swept in the first round. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I see what you're saying. My my one hesitation <laughs> is that everybody's gonna be rusty, so I don't know. I yeah, they, ha- there could they be have some, some time some to chance. Yeah, I mean, eight games to accolade themselves. It's I don't know. Somebody might tear their ACL first because they've been out for so long. <laughs> Yeah, we hope not. Yeah, do you know why it was decided? Why it was decided twenty-two teams specifically? I tried to do some light reading, but I couldn't figure it out. Like why that set of teams as opposed to just like jumping right into the playoffs? Or well, I know that having a different. They weren't going to jump right in because they didn't want it to be unfair to the players who were on the bubble. Um, I know that there was another plan, and the reasons why the Portland Trailblazers denied or voted down on this one is that there was another plan with only twenty teams to get in. Mm-hmm. So there's other teams that are farther outside the bubble may not get in, but I think I don't remember like if there's like an exact science. I know that the way the the NBA lottery works is that a lot of teams are already in the lottery and it's not just a number 1 overall selection. It's about a percentage of getting the number 1 overall pick. So they just do it at random. So they don't have to do seeding for that. And I, I think another thing is they wanted to do seeding for players who were in the ninth um seed because once you because the way it works is you're in the lottery and everybody has a percentage of getting one of those top picks top one to top four and then after that it, it goes into seeding i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. yeah. so that's why they wanted to get seeding for those other players and not just do 20 teams well and i'm sense. also i'm sure that the other teams like mathematically didn't have Couldn't, a shot yeah at making it, yeah sure. yeah that's oh, what yeah. i figured is that yeah 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 the any team that technically could make the playoffs with eight games remaining would be in. Whereas yeah. Those are kind of right. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's, that's why there are like 13 in one conference, but only nine in the other. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to the Eastern conference. Favoritism. Yeah. Only yeah. one team <laughs> competing to get into the playoffs right now. Oh, Bart question for you. What are some of the biggest unknowns at this point? Uh, so there, yeah, there are definitely several, um, for me, the biggest ones all hinge around the health aspect of it, though. 
For instance, we talked about this a few episodes ago, the whole question of the tests and how, how are they going to have enough knowing that as far as I know, at least there's still a shortage of them for the general populace. So that's one weird thing. And secondly, the real, the real question to me is why they are allowing people to leave the bubble. Like I read that they are going to allow people to, to go out and play golf, for example, and go visit restaurants and then they'll be coming in and out. And it just it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I know that like they're NBA athletes and they're used to, you know, luxury and being able to do like all these fun things. Um, but like at a certain point, you have to sacrifice something. And I, I just don't understand how that makes sense. Like I still feel like the NBA's plan for if a lot of players start getting hurt or not hurt, injured, not injured either. Excuse me. Uh, unhealthy and 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 uh, you know testing positive. I don't think that they're necessarily prepared for that. I don't know what are what are other people's yeah. big questions. Yeah. My my big question. I think I had those same similar health questions. Even if one person you know gets sick, if it's LeBron, then and he has to quarantine for fourteen days. Yeah. Like, come on, it's gonna yeah. really yeah. hamper the viewability. And then also in terms of view, viewability, I don't like that they waited till July thirty one because they're going to be conflicting with the with college football and NFL if they start on time. And my big question is, will anyone watch the finals if it's not LeBron versus Giannis, if it's not Lakers-Bucks? And then if – because I think if I were to pick between a college football game and, like, let's say Raptors-Clippers, I would Wizards, watch the college Pelicans. football game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I would, I would watch the college football game personally. I'm sure a lot of people would watch an NFL game over a finals that's not, like, the Lakers-Bucks. So that, that was my biggest question. I guess the NBA has going for it that they have games like many times a week and not just on yeah. Saturdays. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. The one thing I'm thinking about too is just atmosphere as well. Like, are they going to pump in crowd noise? I don't know if that's been decided. How um, This has been brought up, but like how home field advantage would work. Like there's, I mean, there's still the benefit of being the higher seed in that you um, get to play the worst team, but then the home field advantage aspect of it just completely disappears. Yeah. And it feels a little... Like you lose some of that advantage you get from playing out a better regular yeah. season, but at this point it's unavoidable. So just how they're going to navigate that and how they're going to deal with stadium atmosphere the day of. Yeah, I've seen some of the like thoughts about what they could do to give home field advantage, and they range from like practical to just like absolutely ridiculous. Like some yeah. of them are like higher seeds would get the ball like the second, third, and fourth quarter to start, which kind of makes sense, or they'd have a player who could get an extra foul. And there was also like higher seeds could transport their actual hardwood courts to Disney <laughs> yeah. to reveal <laughs> home court advantage. I was like, okay, there's another one about hotel. They get preferential hotel selection at Disney. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'd be pissed if I were, yeah, I worked for that, you know, that seed. And then that's all I got. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I'm curious. They might not end up doing anything because it's like, I read that it's it's something that the NBA cares about, but quote is not like a huge priority for them. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, moving on, Lucas, are there any teams that stick out to you as like particularly benefiting from the way this plan is set up? Yeah, I thought of three big teams that I think benefit most from the plan. First is my hometown Philadelphia 76ers because both Embiid and Simmons um, were injured around the time that uh, the season ended. And, you know, they had an up and down season. There are lots of other issues with that team. They don't really have a true shooter and too many big guys. But regardless, I think if you have Embiid and Simmons on the court, I think you give yourself a shot to win a lot of games. And both of them were out and injured and not at their best and probably wouldn't have been at their best had the playoffs started on time. So I think having them have the time to rest and recoup and recover um, would give them a better shot to make a run in the playoffs. 
Also think the Denver Nuggets because Nikola Jokic apparently has really slimmed down over <laughs> the uh, the quarantine. Apparently, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, he he was great already when he had the the dad bod, but now if he's actually like fit and in shape, like that can only do good things for the Nuggets. Um, and then the New Orleans Pelicans, um, who I think I think the NBA wants to see Zion in the playoffs. Um, and wants to see JJ Redick not have a streak broken of being in the playoffs every single year of his career. Yeah. Um, and I think that having the play-in game for that final seed is a nice little workaround for that because they've been on a run recently, but probably weren't going to catch the Grizzlies for the last spot. And I think they have a good shot of beating out the Blazers for the nine spot and then winning their play-in game. So I think Sixers, Nuggets, Pelicans, biggest beneficiaries from this plan. Yeah. I think I, I would also throw in the Lakers too. I think because LeBron, like he does, he obviously is superhuman in a lot of ways, but he's still old. He plays into June every year, basically. Like I think this will be a big, it will be a good break for him a- until next year when he's playing into June and then has to start it again in December or not June, October. So it'll be tough for him. Yeah, I agree. Because I'd love to see LeBron make another run. Because I just want to see him get closer and closer to Jordan eventually <laughs> until people yeah. relent. Um, but going off that, so we talked about the teams that will benefit the most from this plan. Jared, who do you think the teams that will benefit the least from this plan or be most hurt by this plan are? The Grizzlies, eight mm. seeds, basically. I think the play-in tournament's unfair, personally. I th- what? Like, I... I I would be fine. I would be fine if they just said the eight games, like more like exhibition, and that the teams that were already there made it. Because I just don't think it's, to be to qualify for the game, you need to be within to qualify for the play-in tournament. You need to be within four games. And I don't know. I just don't think that's fair. That like you can just make this run in these eight games and then kind of make it in. I don't know. It just I think it devalues what you did the whole rest of the season. Um. Yeah, that's what I think. What do you guys think? Yeah. I, I think I the actually, Grizzlies still yeah, have an actual yeah. chance of holding out those nine to how many teams are there? the anyone below them. They have a chance to to go out there and win some games as well. I mean, you never know what would have happened, and I think that the the play in tournament kind of at least eliminates some what could have been as far as uh, those other players outside of the bubble. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Wyatt, on that. I th- I do think it's very very much like a you know, a way for the NBA to give the Pelicans and Zion a shot. But I do think it makes <laughs> sense that, like, they're robbed of the rest of the season where they maybe could have made that run. And so they've got to open it up a little more. Um, but besides that, I actually had the the Lakers on my benefit the least list. Uh, oh, just wow. in terms of home field advantage. I'm thinking of, like, yeah. the inevitable Clippers-Lakers matchup that would have happened. It would have been more so home field for the Lakers just because they have a larger fan base there. Uh, and I think now that there uh, there's that doesn't exist, that could change things. Yeah, I might throw in another top seed. I think the Bucks might be ones who might not benefit from this. I think they had that sort of like relentless momentum building towards the end of the season yeah. of them like the sort of inevitability, and then they just had all these months off from playing, and then having to come back, and it's kind of like the fresh slate of a new season. Um, and I just think while they're great and a great team, I don't know if they'll be able to sort of build their team in a way as it was because this year it sort of felt like everything came together and i don't know if that's possible but i still think they're far and away the best team in the east but i don't know if it'll maybe be as easy for them as it was otherwise one final team that benefits the least are the nets who had all this chance for kevin durant and kyrie Irving to come back only for them to shoot it down so the nets not a huge beneficiary this time 
We'll see. They're still we'll holding see. out, I think. Kevin Durant's just going to swoop in right at the end. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's transition into our uh, normal segment, Short Stories. We're going to start off with Aiden on this one. What do you have for us? Uh, so I'm going to be going into a little legal case study. Um, pay attention, Ooh. Lucas. T- take your notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, so it's uh, a couple years ago, uh, Ron Darling, a, a beloved former Mets pitcher who was on the 1986 Mets, the last Mets team to win a World Series, wrote an autobiography. And in said autobiography, he made some accusations against Lenny Dykstra, who was another a, a star outfielder on that same Mets team. Uh, and he accused him of yelling some racially charged comments at Dennis Boyd, who is a, a black pitcher on the Red Sox during that World Series. Um, and so anyway, Lenny sued Ron Darling, the author of the book, for for libel, saying that it wasn't true. Um, and so a quick intro into Lenny Dykstra, uh, for those who don't know. Um, he's, a, he's a very, very long history of being a really terrible person. Um, <laughs> and while he played baseball, he used steroids way before it was cool. Um, he had a history of blackmailing umpires. Apparently, he'd hire private investigators to follow around umpires so that he could blackmail them when he got up to the plate so that they'd give him favorable calls. Um, outside of baseball, his rap sheet is even way worse. Grand theft auto, sexual assault, sexual harassment, indecent exposure, bankruptcy fraud. It, it goes on. It is a oh very long God. list. He held an Uber driver at gunpoint. Um, he's $31 million in debt currently. Anyway, um, so this case of him suing uh, went to the New York Supreme Court, and the, the ruling was, was pretty fascinating. It was the judge ruled that Dykstra's reputation is so tarnished already that it cannot be further injured, was the, the quote from the judge. So, so the, the ruling was literally that it's impossible to defame this man because of how bad his reputation already is, which I have never seen anything like that before. So yeah. I thought it was a pretty wild ruling. I don't read a lot of court cases or, uh, you know, uh, court reviews, uh, but I definitely had not seen that one before where someone could not possibly be defamed. So <laughs> that's my I've never story. heard of this man before, and I'm wondering how this is possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go, go on his a Wikipedia page. It is... Yeah, there's there's a very long list under the uh, whatever section, personal issues or like legal issues. <laughs> it's a, there's like um, a separate but, uh, link to a separate yeah. article. <laughs> Honestly, like I needed to cut a bunch of his, you know, legal issues because I just I don't have the time for it here. Um, but anyway, yeah, I so. never knew about that. He, yeah. he played for the Phillies for a yeah. while, too. And I remember like I think it, he like in the stadium there they have like things honoring him which seems yeah. now that i have this information yeah, in, in retrospect, <laughs> a little bit great. worse taste yeah. <laughs> but anyway uh bart what do you what do you have for us uh so i wanted to talk about conor mcgregor and his his retirement um he made waves or rather i maybe should say he didn't make waves because this was the third time he's done this um <laughs> so to, to recap in April of 2016, he retired for the first time, and that lasted like 46 days. And then in March of last year, he retired again. That lasted even less. That lasted nine days. Uh, and so now he has retired for a third time, citing boredom with the sport. The game just, quote, doesn't excite him. There's, quote, nothing happening. 
Uh, I mean, so the third point is fair. Sure. There's nothing happening because nothing is happening anywhere. Right. But like <laughs> you, you really have to wonder whether it's it's not just him saying he's bored uh, and then he's going to become on board immediately once coronavirus boils over and he's going to be coming right back in uh, for the fourth time, I guess. <laughs> and so his, his coach actually tweeted something that people are latching onto as well. His coach tweeted about how Michael Jordan retired the first time and then came back. And dominated some more, which seems like <laughs> he already knows that McGregor is going to be coming back. So I don't really know. I think, you know, you have to consider the possibility that with how much they get hit in the head, maybe he's like actually got some sort of brain damage. Um, and he just like doesn't want, doesn't want to keep doing it. But uh, I think more so it's just likely that he's literally just bored and wanted the media attention. And then he's going to yeah. come back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Who knows? But um, yeah, so speak. Maybe he'll do what Jordan did and and um, you know swerve into another sport in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and we can actually segue off of that. We can move into our next segment here. We'll take a look at athletes that could potentially switch sports and be dominant at them. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So these are athletes that presumably we don't know anything about whether they are actually good at the sport, but they just give us the vibe that they would be. So Aiden, let's start with you. Who do you think would make a good NFL quarterback? Yeah, I had a tougher time with this than I thought I would. Um, mostly because, well, there were a couple things I was looking at. First, I was thinking about um, NFL, MLB pitchers. Um, so I think like Clayton Kershaw, for example, you know, he's, he's got, you know, the the arm strength. He's got, he's 6'4". Um, he would choke in the Super Bowl, but that's, that's fine. Um, but honestly, <laughs> in terms of like pitchers like i've seen them run the bases and such they're like not athletic at all so he'd definitely be a, a pocket passer um, <laughs> in terms of someone more dual threat i think you can look at some you know nba point guards i think who would maybe have a shot maybe russell i could see you know being a being a playmaker but he's a little lanky for that uh maybe dame um but but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with kershaw as my one i guess nice. <laughs> wyatt what do you think I went, I didn't even think about baseball. I don't know if heat, like the way how fast somebody throws is really big of a deal here. I picked Kevin Love, who is probably one of the best full court passes in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, He's a great facilitator. He's a, a sharpshooter in the corner. He's got a great beard. So I think that that could work. And he's a big frame kind of guy. So I think that maybe, although he may not be super mobile, you know, maybe he could take a couple of hits. Um, I think another honorable mention as far as full court passers go is um, Jokic from from the Nuggets. He's also a great full court passer. A lot of the same reason. He's a big frame kind of guy. But Kevin Love real would quick, be my big pick. Go ahead, Jared. Real quick, the beard will actually interfere with the chin strap, though. So it's better to be a little clean. To be clean. <laughs> there are plenty of Patrick. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't Tons look comfortable. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lucas, who would make the best soccer goalkeeper? So when you're looking for good soccer goalkeeper, you want someone who's tall, athletic, kind of lanky so they can dive around, get to the ball. And there is a basketball player that really fits all of those, and his name is Kevin Durant. I think he fits the bill on sort of every check mark here. He's really tall, he's very athletic, and he can kind of move around quickly because he's kind of lanky. So I think you slot him in. On some big European team, he might not be great initially, but I think, you know, <laughs> some practice, some training. He has all the intangibles there needed to be a good soccer goalkeeper. Yeah. yeah. Or, what are you thinking? Um, I use similar criteria. My selection is Julio Jones, actually. He's tall. He's not quite as tall as Kevin mm-hmm. Durant. 
Um, but he's, he's still like, they say you should probably be above like six, six foot two, something like that. He's six three. Um, you know, he's got like explosive, like lower body strength, so he can jump around and like reach any ball. I figured anyway. Um, and, and maybe most importantly, he's got great hands, right? He, uh, he's got great eye hand coordination and great hands. So he'll be, he'll be, uh, I don't know if it's like coached to, to actually try to catch balls as a goalkeeper instead of just slap them out of the way, but he would just be catching everything. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, moving on, Jared, who do you like as a potential NASCAR driver? So I narrowed it down to three sports that I identified with a low margin of error because um, that's what NASCAR, NASCAR is a low margin of error. You're driving really fast next to people. So baseball, hockey, and golf. Baseball and golf don't have enough endurance. You need endurance in NASCAR, so I went with hockey. And I just went with the best hockey player, Sidney Crosby. He's got the endurance. they got to drive 500 laps. A driver could lose 5 to 10 pounds of weight and sweat in a race, which is crazy. The one problem with it, with Crosby is that hockey is cold and the race cars are really hot. So he'll have to get acclimated to that. But he's small. He's 5'11", so he'll fit in a car. Quick reactions. Obviously, Crosby does that well. Supreme concentration. And he's not willing. He's not afraid of contact. He's willing to get into fights. He's a hockey player. So that's what I went with. Lucas, uh, what do you think? So when I was looking at what might be good for NASCAR and looking back on my years of NASCAR watching experience, <laughs> I've determined that there are three good skills that are needed for someone to be a good NASCAR driver. Determination, endurance, and aggression. And I think Cristiano Ronaldo has all of them. Really? Uh, I, I think it could work. Maybe maybe more qualified for F1 if you're going for the whole European flair to it. But um, he's notably like one of the hardest workers in all of soccer, like built himself up. I think he got the determination there. Soccer players run more than I think any other athlete over the course of their games. He got endurance and aggression. That's what he's known for being like big up front and getting balls in. So I think he'd make a good NASCAR driver. Plus the man owns three Ferraris. So he's got some experience driving. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Next up, we're going to move on to who do you think would make the best UFC fighter? So Bart, give me your opinion. Uh, Yeah. So I was like, okay, there are a lot of like random people that you could just pick where like, you know, they've gotten in fights before, yada, yada. I tried to think about it a little more logically. I don't know if this is actually logical, but my choice is Bryce Harper. Um, so, so my reasoning is this, so he's, he's obviously got really good reflexes, which is important. He's obviously got great balance. He's athletic af, um, and like you need to be, like, you need to be really athletic to be able to like hold your own in the ring. Um, and yeah, I don't know. He's just like, he, he's really like, he seems really built for it. Um, and like, he could just like pummel people if he really wanted to. Um, but who knows? Maybe he's a maybe he's a coward. Maybe he's a pacifist. Um, Wyatt, what do you think? I don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know a lot of the physical criteria that goes with being a UFC fighter. I was, first, I was thinking reach and somebody maybe who had um, long arms or a big wingspan, which would have done uh, a lot of players in like the NBA. But I went with another player in the NBA, Patrick Beverly, who I think is probably the feistiest player I've ever seen play no matter what's going on no matter if he gets crossed up or whatever he's still talking he's still out there (laughs) Patrick Beverly could catch a mean uppercut and he he would say something back to the guy like that's all you got so I think that Patrick Beverly (laughs) would be a perfect person to to fight as a UFC fighter regardless of whether he fits the physical attributes or not but he uh he's got some dog in him so that much Yo, I'd watch that LeBron Patrick Beverly uh, UFC fight yeah yeah good good content 
<laughs> who was it, who was it uh, that whoever they got embarrassed by and just in response to it said it, like it's no challenge it's no challenge at all that was LeBron. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was LeBron. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he always. He, he, my favorite thing about Patrick Beverly is he's like, oh yeah, it's no big deal at all. And then like Kevin Durant goes off and scores like forty something points on him, and then they win. They win that series last year. So he likes to talk a lot, no matter regardless of what the result is. Uh, but Jared, who would make a good MLB designated hitter? So I immediately thought of offensive linemen because they mm-hmm. have. Strong lower body and forearms. Mobility is not required for a designated hitter. So, <laughs> that you know, it's fine if they're an O-lineman. Even though they're really athletic now, too. In baseball, you need to be able to identify pitches um, very well. O-linemen have to identify fronts, complicated blocking schemes. They're some of the smartest people on the field. Small margin of error, just like um, in baseball, but just with, with O-linemen. Um, they probably have the smallest margin of error besides a kicker, I would say. And not like one hand here or there could be holding or blown up play. So my pick was Quentin Nelson, uh, Notre Dame guy, a beast. I I just, I would want to see him do a bat flip, you know, like O-linemen have those crazy celebrations. I think they'd have pretty good bat flips as well. What do you think, Aiden? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Though. I was definitely thinking about large dudes. You know, when I think of DH, yeah. I think of David Ortiz or Prince Fielder, Frank Thomas, yeah. like guys who just can't, who are just enormous and kind of terrifying to throw a pitch to. Um, so I went with Zion for this one. Um, I think credit to Zion. He's like, he's large, but he can also move. So like Zion, if he's like, you know, I would oof, I would love to watch a good like collision at home plate between Zion and some <laughs> poor catcher. Um, yeah. But, but I, I feel like Zion's got like just the like the coordination as well in terms of like he's large but he could, he's also got you know that touch in basketball um so i think he he could go far in baseball and really clock one um out of the park so you know i think i don't know i don't know any hockey goalkeepers but i think that they might be worth an honorable mention as far as tracking mm-hmm. something goes in the air as far as you do like you yeah, recognize it. i mean i'm so impressed with the way that goalkeepers can find and catch a puck you it's know such a small object again i don't know a single one i'm not like throwing out a name but <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there listening goalkeepers we we recognize you <laughs> <bud>. <laughs> yeah. all right so we're going to transition on um we're going to take a look at some of the things that we've seen as far as the black lives matter movement goes um i talked a little bit on my solo show and we're going to talk specifically on the impact that sports has had or does have on the movement and i want to bring up something uh comments that drew Brees made when he was asked by a yahoo finance reporter um and he brought up kneeling during or the question was kneeling during uh, during the flag or the anthem and how he thought it was disrespectful to the national anthem and i think that the comments made by drew Brees were inappropriate and incredibly dismissive to the conversation at hand I think th- this is a conversation that Colin Kaepernick has been trying to have for years, and then it continues to get misconstrued. I mean, how many times do people have to come out and say, and Colin Kaepernick has to come out and say that this is not about the military? I mean, in fact, he even went out of his way to show respect to, to the military by taking a knee rather than sitting. I mean, we, we wa- had to watch a video of a man getting murdered for nine minutes, and we're still going to shift it to the military and... And I know that the reporter asked him directly about kneeling during the anthem, but the problem is, is that when people are, are forced to ask 
uh, forced to answer on difficult conversations, they continue to blur the lines and shift the topics and move it to something completely, completely irrelevant or we have to sugarcoat it so that way we can talk about it. And you cannot use your patriotism to outweigh your racism. Um, and the way that Ernie Johnson put it is that you cannot use the flag as a blindfold. And if you have that much pride in like the American flag and the audacity to bring up like Drew Brees as grandfathers who fought and you should have enough pride to hold the officials and police officers accountable for what the flag stands for. All he had to say was it's not about the military. And it's disappointing to see a guy like Drew, who has been the face of the Saints in the city of New Orleans, um, we're both predominantly black, not amplify the voices of those around him. And I think Shannon Sharp put it best when he said, uh, for one second, we didn't want you to be Drew Brees. We wanted you to be one of us. And uh, I'm sorry that it had to be Drew because he strikes me as a man of integrity, but I commend his teammates for standing up mm. and not letting something like that slide. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. And the angle I'm going to look at it uh, from is something you had mentioned before about Colin Kaepernick and just how he has been completely vindicated by everything that's happening. Not that he hasn't always unambiguously been in the right on this issue. The police brutality against unarmed black men and women has been an issue as long as this country has existed and he has always been right to protest it. But I think the way you've seen everything unfold here um, has just completely vindicated him that he protested peacefully. Um, there's the JFK quote that when you make peaceful protest um, impossible, you make uh, violence inevitable. And all the people who have been criticizing the rioting and the looting, I think need to take a hard look at themselves and how they reacted to everything that Colin Kaepernick did, because I think, a large majority of those who have spoken with such disgust about the looting and everything like that fail to recognize that they themselves condemned a more peaceful and um, more acceptable in what their eyes would be version of protesting um, that he did. And he was always peaceful. And it's an absolute shame that he's still been blackballed from the league up until this point. Um, I know the NFL has made some sort of superficial um, talks about supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, but I don't think they really hold any integrity on the issue until Colin Kaepernick is employed on an NFL team. There's absolutely no reason he shouldn't be. You can watch and read enough articles and videos about his statistics versus guys in the league who just aren't objectively worse than he is. Um, but that being said, I think he's been vindicated. I think the way that he's been inspiring to lots of people around the country and around the world um, in terms of their protests, um, I was at a protest in St. Paul and the person up front said, talked about Kaepernick and asked everybody to kneel. Um, sports players around the world have been doing it. The, um, uh, lots of players in the Bundesliga have been kneeling before their games as well in solidarity. And the United States Women's National Team now for soccer is asking uh, United States soccer to reconsider their policy of banning uh, kneeling before the game so not that I don't think he was ever not in the right because he always has been but I think he's just been absolutely and completely vindicated by everything that's happened in the past couple weeks it's a shame that he's not in the NFL and I hope and pray that he will soon because he deserves it not only because I think he's a really great person but because hopefully people will start coming to this, their senses about the discrimination and how he's always been a peaceful voice speaking against it yeah I'm going to transition to 
a basketball, a former NBA player, uh, Stephen Jackson. He was childhood friends or longtime friends with George Floyd. He even made a remark. He was on the the herd with Colin Coward that day. He and George Floyd looked alike in a lot of ways. Um, and Colin Coward asked Stephen Jackson if he had any tense situations with police officers in his life. And Stephen Jackson said no. And he said the reasons were that the police in his hometown grew up in that area. They came and watched his basketball games. They knew his family. Um, so I think he like kind of offered a potential solution or a way, like a, a way that could mitigate some of the problems we have is having police officers serve in the area that they grew up in and knowing the people that they're protecting and serving. And these are my words now, so that the officers can protect in like a more uh, empathetic way, I think. When you know somebody personally you and you're caring for their well-being, whether they're the ones being arrested or the ones being threatened by another citizen, um, that seems like a, a pretty logical solution. Um, a good way to do that, too, to like kind of know the community could be through sports, like a, if you're on if officers on their time. I know uh, in my, when I was at high school, we had a, a police officer was one of our coaches. It's a good way to get to know the community, know some of the, the kids um, as well. That seems like a, a good solution. And I think um, I, I am glad that Jackson offered like a potential solution, some reassuring words. Um, and I think it's a good, during this time, it's good to like, this is going to sound like semantics probably, but calling someone in rather than calling someone out which you can still do publicly, but calling someone in to be a part of the solution rather than saying you're a part of the problem, get out of here. Calling them in to be a part of the solution um, could be a nice thing as well. What do you think, Aiden? Yeah, no, I think those are all very good points, especially, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the past couple of weeks, we've definitely seen that policing is lacking in empathy or, you know, at least definitely to some degree. And the, the past several years obviously have showed that as well, but um, looking for solutions where we get that, bring that back in is, is important for sure. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring us back to the NFL uh, and briefly talk about the video that NFL players made um, in support of, of black lives matter. And um, first of all, I think it's pretty embarrassing for the league that the players had to take this into their own hands to an extent because it was it was the players and a, a rogue NFL staffer a staffer who was embarrassed about the NFL science, uh, silence on these issues who kind of organized this um, and I thought it was such a powerful video especially in the fact that the, the phrasing of you know when they were condemning racism you know showing support for Black Lives Matter that they explicitly said on behalf of the NFL um, because it first of all it kind of showed a microscope on the on the fact that the NFL have been totally silent, like the the you know administration at least. Um, and two, it was showed that the players were sick of their company and they were sick of their league not caring about issues that were clearly important to them. Um, and you know the the players understood that they were gonna have to take action on it because nothing was gonna happen from from the NFL. And they they really forced the NFL's hand on that because um, after after you know this video came out of their biggest stars making such a loud moving statement and after the the positive feedback that it received from the public there is really no way that the nfl could come out and say something that wasn't in support uh, and as lucas kind of mentioned earlier like i do not believe that the nfl cares for a second um to be honest but um i i think their apology was superficial but they still have to do it um and 
there's still, you know, peaceful protest will, as far as I can see, be allowed in the, the foreseeable future within the NFL, which is, um, which is exciting um, and definitely progress. And that, that's all due to the players. Um, cause yeah, the I, NFL is still spineless, still hasn't, didn't even mention Kaepernick and Goodell didn't mention Kaepernick in his, his apology or anything like that. There's still been no, um, direct saying of any of that. They feel like they're just trying to get past this and, um, get away from it. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was just a, a really moving moment and, and, um, video made possible by the players and not by the league. Yeah, it seems like the the only real way that they can start to convince people that they care is, like Lucas said, to actually get Kaepernick signed. And mm-hmm. until then, it does feel completely yeah. superficial. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of touching on everybody's points. I, I wanted to talk about the, the whole shut up and dribble thing. Um, it kind of it started again with um, with Drew Brees' comments, like why I was talking about Laura Ingram. Um, said something along the lines of Drew Brees is completely entitled to his opinion. Uh, and LeBron and quite a few other people, of course, were quick to point out the hypocrisy of of why Drew Brees is seemingly entitled to his opinion, but LeBron should just shut up and dribble whenever he talks about um, you know anything going on outside of sports. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, the whole concept of shut up and dribble is, is completely idiotic. It, the whole hypocrisy of it even, it, I mean, it goes further than just Drew Brees versus LeBron. It, I mean, to say that suggests that, you know, some, like a software developer like I am is only entitled to talk about programming. Somebody in accounting is only entitled to talk about money. I mean, by that logic, only politicians, lawyers, and so on can talk about politics and, and you know, social movements, which, of course, makes absolutely no sense. Um, and so I think it's been really great seeing in these past few weeks all the athletes that have stepped forward. And, you know, so many people have been saying things. So many people called out Drew Brees, like Wyatt was saying, which was great. Um, you know, like people have been you know, showing photos of athletes at protests. Damian Lillard put out a song the other day, um, like basically <laughs> just like dissing on racism, um, which is such like a 2020 sentence. But uh, yeah, so it's it's great. I, I, I'm really happy that the, the like the BLM movement has been, you know, really manifesting itself more in actual athletes actions recently. And I hope we see more of that. I think we need to get rid of the whole mentality that athletes are essentially just there for our entertainment. And that's it. Um, they are so much more than that, just like everybody else is. And so it's it's good. And I hope that this only keeps on growing and people keep on speaking out more and more. I agree, Bart. Um, and with that, uh, we're going to wrap up our show. Um, remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. The ratings really help us get our name out there. Uh, follow us on Twitter um, at Media, and just keep listening along. We love being able to talk to you, and we'll see you next week.